he is presenting himself as the one who needs to be taken in, lived from, lived on. And so it shakes up the audience. And we've been looking at the crowd in the text. We've also looked at the Jewish people in the text. We've looked at getting unstuck, knowing who's in control, and stopping the grumbling. If you do all of those things, you're going to go past halfway. You're going to go past halfway. And there are people who are being challenged in this. They're being challenged because they have admitted that they've only gone halfway with the Lord. Now, this is a challenging word. This is the kind of word that is preached out of John chapter 6 that could literally reduce the amount of people who come to church. Jesus had no fear of that. And so we're going to look at some interesting verses of Scripture. Take your eyes to John chapter 6. I've titled this final message, Receiving Hard Sayings. Receiving Hard Sayings. How many people have ever had someone say to them, very direct and upfront, something very hard to receive? They got in your space and they got in your face, right? That happened to me several years ago. A person got in my space and they got in my face and they said that I was arrogant. I was arrogant. And you know what? They were correct. They were correct. I didn't want to receive it. It was a hard saying. And listen, we're not talking about harsh sayings. We're talking about hard sayings. And there's a difference between harsh and hard. And some of you have heard harsh most of your life. And so when a hard saying comes, you push back on the hard saying because you misinterpret it as harsh. And so what we're going to look at is hard sayings today, not harsh. Jesus is never harsh. If he even gets close to harsh, it's with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people of his day. But we're looking at hard sayings and receiving them. Jesus is the type of a leader. He's the type of a savior who doesn't pad. He doesn't pad his word. There are preachers and there are pastors and churches that are padding the Bible. They're padding, padding the hard sayings of Jesus. It's kind of like this. I went to my library and I got the biggest Bible I could find. Now I want you to picture this because if the padding wasn't on here and the Bible that I'm holding in my hands, you're having a conversation with a person right now. Well, not during the preaching, right? But you're just at church, right? And I were to throw this and hit you upside the side of the head, would that hurt, yes or no? It would hurt. It would be hard. So I've padded it, and now I'm going to give a little experiment here, and I need two volunteers to have a conversation. I'm going to throw this. It's going to hit you in the back of the head. Is it going to hurt as bad? It's not going to hurt as bad because I've padded it. There are preachers who are padding the Word of God. They don't want it to be as hard. Jesus never padded his Word. Churches are padding the hard sayings of God. So that the people will come and they will stay. But Jesus never did that. I want to look at some hard sayings with you. Again, not harsh sayings. What you see in John chapter 6 are the people pushing back not on his works but on his words. Halfwayers will push back not on the works of God. They received the bread. They received the miracle. They were open to all of those things that Jesus was doing. But when Jesus then got in their face and in their space with a hard saying, then they pushed back on him. And this is where halfwayers are. This is why people who come to Harvest Reading 
they'll hear the hard sayings of Jesus, they'll push back, and then they'll leave. And then they'll go to another church, and they're going to look for something that's a little bit more padded, so it won't hurt as much, so it won't bring change in their life as much. So they never push back on his works, they push back on his words. We're going to see some of that. When somebody who is halfway pushes back on what Jesus says, Jesus' words become obnoxious. It's kind of like taking your fingernails and going down a chalkboard. You remember that? I don't even know if they have chalkboards anymore. It's an obnoxious sound. It's a static. It's a noise. Jesus' words to the halfway, and you'll see that in the text we'll look at, is frustrating. It's like a traffic jam being stuck there. It's kind of like the outdated and boring. Do you remember Atari for all of those? Nobody plays Atari. It's just an antique. You try to get money for it, right? But you don't play it. It's outdated. It's boring. The word of God to a half where the hard sayings are kind of like Simon Cowell, who says to that wannabe, you can't sing. You'll never be a singer. And so there's this shock. There's this reality check. That's the word of God, a hard saying that Jesus is giving to a halfway or it's shock. A drill sergeant screaming in your face, it's intimidation. Or your doctor telling you, you have to give up caffeine forever. There's resistance. Jesus' words can become obnoxious to a halfway or they can become frustrating. They can become outdated, boring, shocking, intimidating, and they resist them. We're talking about halfwayers. There are some people who have said that they're halfwayers and they're not here today. I know my whole congregation now. We're getting close to 150. 150 people is not hard to know them. You go up to about 2, 250. Then after that, it gets a little bit more difficult for the pastor to know their lives and know what's going on. But at 150, I know pretty much everybody in everybody's situation, unless you're a brand new person today. Some of those people had said they're halfway. Some of them haven't been here two or three weeks. Halfway. They're halfwayers. The message today, I pray, will be listened to them through our website because it could cause them to go further than they've ever gone before. My heart breaks for them. Jesus was breaking. His heart was hurt. This was a difficult passage of scripture that we're going to look at for him. So we're talking about halfwares. What is it about receiving hard sayings? Take your outline. Here's number one. I'm going to give you two, and then we'll do a couple of subpoints underneath of that. Number one, receiving the hard sayings will always be more of a heart issue than a head issue. That's number one. Verses 60 down to verse 65. Look at verse 60. Are you in John chapter 6? when many of his disciples heard it, they said, you can stop there. We got a transition here. We have a a moment in time. We've already looked at the previous verses. I don't want to talk about those. It says many of his disciples, not a few. Down in verse 66, you'll see that many turn their back on Christ and then they walk away because of the hard sayings. So you have many, we're not sure how many of the many thousands that were there during the great miracle of the feeding We're not sure how many specifically, but I happen to think that it was pretty high in number. I think the number of people that are going to be in heaven is going to be relatively lower than what we think when we get there. 
I think there are massive amounts of people who think they're Christians, but they're really not Christians, and they're going to find out when they get to the other side that they were never truly born again. And I think the numbers are going to shock us, but here many of the disciples, disciples is an interesting word, it means learner, it means they were in the school of Christ, it doesn't mean that they were Christians. So when you see disciple, it doesn't mean that they were born again, it doesn't mean they had been redeemed, they have been converted, it just means they were underneath Christ, they were listening to him, they were learning from him, it doesn't mean they were truly regenerate. So you got all of these disciples, and they hear the sayings of Jesus. And what are the sayings? That you're supposed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. That was the hard saying. And so it says in the text, they heard it, and they said, this is a hard saying. The word hard is interesting in the original language. It means inflexible or unmovable. Can I ask you a question? Are you a flexible person? Are you movable? What he's talking about here is something that is very rigid. He's challenging their control. He's challenging their system of belief that they've held on to for hundreds, if not thousands of years in their system, their religious system. They were unmovable. How about if we use this word, stubborn? Stubborn. I hear a little bit of a reaction to that because maybe somebody has said to you that you're a stubborn person. You're inflexible and you're unmovable. They said this question, who can listen to it? Obviously, they're not talking about hearing it audibly because they can hear, their hearing is fine. But they're talking about who can listen to it, who can know it. And Jesus is the one who's perceiving this inside of them. He could read our mail. He knows what's going on. He is discerning about their condition. And the Bible says that they started to do what? Do you see the word there we looked at last Sunday? They were grumbling. They were grumbling. Here's what grumbling is. I should have clarified this last Lord's Day. Grumbling isn't because you got stuck in traffic or the person in front of you at the grocery line is taking forever with their million coupons, right? That's not grumbling. Grumbling is when God is speaking to you. God is wanting you to go further with him than you've ever gone. And he's asking something of you. And all of a sudden you push back on that. And that's what they were doing. And so God has been speaking to some people at Harvest Reading about some things that you know that you need to look at, change, maybe move away from. And you're starting to grumble. That's the true nature of grumbling. It was amazing because after the, the service last week and throughout the week, I heard people saying, well, I'm a grumbler. I'm a grumbler. And I'm at work and I'm complaining. Well, that's not really the context of what Jesus is talking about here. We shouldn't do that, but this is more of a grumbling against the will of God. And so the disciples and the many who are not receiving the hard sayings are struggling with this. Verse 61, notice what Jesus says. What does he say? He asks them a question again. Do you take offense at this? What does it mean to be offended? It's to hold a resentment. Has anybody ever been offended by somebody else's words towards you or their actions towards you? You've ever been offended? Raise your hand. Most everybody. How about, have you ever offended anybody? Does anybody want to raise their hand on that one? We understand offense. Jesus asks the question here. Does this offend you? In other words, what I'm saying, you've got to drink my blood you got to eat my flesh. Does this offend you? And why does it offend you? Now, why is it that they push back on the hard saying? Because, because it's way beyond just hearing something. It's a hard issue for them. There's something going on inside of them that's not right. And this is where Jesus is going with his teaching here. He's trying to tell them, listen, you're not really a follower of me. Because if you are a follower of me, you're going to be the one 
who might chafe a little bit against the hard sayings I'm going to give you, but ultimately you keep receiving the hard sayings. They push back. They push back because it's a heart issue. It's always a heart issue. And that's where Jesus is going. But they're offended. They're irritated. They're annoyed at the, the Lord of glory. Let me show you some verses on this. In Matthew chapter 11, you'll look at this. Jesus said, blessed is the one who is not, what? Offended by me. Now listen, as Christians, we don't go out offending people, right? Some people do that in the name of Jesus, in the name of fundamentalism, in the name of Christianity. And they're, they're offending people because of their attitude, the way they come across. and all. We don't want to do that. But the truth that we believe, the life that we live, Jesus says that kind of life is going to offend some people. But blessed are those who aren't. Let's go to the next verse here. <clears throat> We're in Matthew 13, 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Do they really know Jesus at this point as Savior? No. These are unconverted people. These are people that have stuff in their head, but their heart isn't redeemed. You would call these people maybe halfwayers, right? And so they're asking these questions. Is this not uh, his mother called Mary and not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense. Look at that. They took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Unbelief, offended, halfway, not redeemed. Something's wrong with their heart. This is why people push back on Christianity. Because Jesus comes into our space and he says, listen, I'm calling you. I want all of your heart. I want you to lay down your life completely to me. And then we're, well, that's too much, Lord. That's too much. I'm not going to do that. I'd rather go halfway. And like I said last week and the week before, halfwayers always go beyond. I mean, true Christians always go beyond halfway. They always do. We see that in the text. We see it here in John 6. Let me look at another verse with you, a section. We're in Matthew again, same gospel. Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for your sake of your tradition? Bam! I love that about Jesus. Slam. Let's go back right at him. For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from this, Give from me, given is to God. He need not honor his father and mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their what? Their heart. It's a heart issue, it always is. It's far from me. <clears throat> In vain do they work. I gotta get water. Some of you are like, would you please get a drink of water already? In vain they worshipped me, teaching the doctrines, the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. That word hear and understand needs to be supernatural. It needs to be that with anybody truly getting converted. Some of you are not converted. You'll hear, but you won't understand. You'll hear just with the natural. You won't hear with the supernatural. That's why one person get born again in one moment. The guy next to him won't. Because what's happening in that one person is something supernatural. What's happening in the other one's natural. Might get saved later. We don't know. But the one getting saved 
Jesus wants them to hear and understand supernaturally, not just naturally, is not what goes into the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles the person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were what? They were offended. They were offended when they heard this saying. They were offended when they heard this saying. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking now through his text to some of you. And you're going to get offended at what he said. You're not going to receive the hard saying. It's a hard issue. It's not a head issue. It goes deeper than that. The offense. The offense of the cross. Go back to John 6 if you're still there. Look at verses 63 down to verse 65. Jesus goes on, he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit who gives life. During that worship, it was the Spirit moving that's giving life. And some of you are tearing up, and some of you are feeling the sense of the presence of God and His power, and He's moving in your life. That is the Spirit. He's giving life, but He's talking in the context of conversion. The flesh is no help. Look at it with your own eyes in the text. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. I'm speaking this to you. I'm giving this to you. Are you going to receive it? They're life. They will change your life. But there are some, watch this, verse 64, but there are some of you who do not what? Believe. This isn't, this isn't trust in a practical sense because they're Christians already. This is some, they're not converted. There's some among you who really don't believe. You're not really saved. For Jesus knew from the beginning who, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Look at that verse again. I see some of you looking intently at your Bibles. That's awesome. This is why I told you that no one can come. That's not permission. That's ability. That's what that's talking about. So when God says this, he's saying that no one has the ability to come to me. He's saying this to these people, the crowd and the Jews. He's saying that to you because they're not converted. They think they're converted. They think they really know. But they've trusted in their own ability. They've trusted in their own systems. They haven't come bankrupt before God. They haven't truly humbled themselves before holy God and said, oh God, I am definitely a sinner and I need you desperately. They haven't gotten to that place. The ability to get saved comes from God. The Father grants it that you would believe on Christ. That's how you're saved. That's what he's talking Why would he say that to them? They're going to turn and walk away. Maybe it's confirmation that they were never believers to begin with. Let me give you a sub-point under this letter A if you're taking notes and writing in the blanks. <clears throat> Believing what he says always precedes receiving what he says. Believing what he says always precedes receiving what he says. We trust him first. We trust him first. And then we receive. You don't want to try to receive something without trusting him first. For my wife and I, when we lived in Phoenix, we came west back east rather, we came back to something that was incredibly difficult. And God just kept that from us. We were not given that information of what we would experience. Why is that? 
probably because most of us would push back on something like that. If you knew a week from now you're going to be going through this trauma, you're going to go through amazing kinds of loss and pain and anguish, uh, would you receive that? How many people are like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll sign up for that. Most people wouldn't. So God is training us to trust him, which we did in Phoenix, so that when this happened many months later, we were able to move through that faithful to God. This is how God works in all of our lives. He's training you to trust now. It's a trust issue. Trust now. Trust now. Then you'll receive what he has. It precedes that. This is how the pattern, or we call it the, the way, the providential move of God inside of a Christian's life. This is how he's training us to trust him. So he's looking at all of these people that are there listening to him, all these many disciples that are having a, a difficult time receiving the hard sayings. And he's saying, you know what, by the Holy Spirit is the only way you're going to be able to receive that. And the same thing for today. The only way you'll receive this is the Holy Spirit is working in you right now. And if the Holy Spirit isn't working in you right now, you will not receive the word. And if you're not receiving the word, it, it shows something about your heart condition, where you're at spiritually. Let's go to number two. Write this in. Receiving hard sayings will always be a revealer of the true faith versus a revealer of true faith versus those with only temporary faith. Look at verse 66. You'll see they turned back. That's a, a word of finality. This language here is, is one. You know what? This is it. I'm done. I've heard you, Jesus. I don't receive what you have to say. I'm not going to change my life. I'm not flexible. I'm immovable. This is what they're really saying about their being with their behavior. They're turning back. There's a finality to their decision, and there is a finality that is confirming that they're a false follower. They're not a true follower. Notice 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 behind me. Notice what the Apostle John says here. <clears throat> Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that is the last hour. Watch this. They went out from us, but they were what? Not of us. They went out from us. They turned back. They were not of us. They weren't truly conver con converted. They're not truly one of ours. They're not truly redeemed. That's what that's saying. For if they had been of us, they would have what? Continued with us. This is called preservation of the saints or perseverance of the saints. Any true Christian always perseveres. Any true Christian is always preserved by God unto eternity. That's great assurance. This is a verse that we should all really hold on to, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Does that make sense? Again, you have to hear this in the spirit because if you try to twist this thing and move it with your own natural understanding, you're not going to see what John the Apostle is trying. And he's the same writer that wrote John 6. He's basing a lot of this on his history with these people. And now he's writing to confront false antichrists in this letter, 1 John. Because there are antichrists that came into the church. There were people who said they were Christians, but they weren't Christians. It says in the text back in John 6, they no longer walked with him. This is sad. This is a tragedy. This is heartbreaking to Jesus. Although he knows who believes and who doesn't, there's something about the heart of the Lord he still cares about humanity. He still cares about those people who reject him. He still cares about those people who don't stick it out with him. 
This happens all the time in church ministry. People that no longer walk, they turn, they leave, they go halfway, then they stop, and then they turn back. This happened to me, the first convert that I ever had. I was a brand new pastor, and so I had my little briefcase. Back in those days, it was like this really cheesy briefcase. This is like almost 30 years ago. And so I had my briefcase. I had my Bible in that. And so Mike was my, my first disciple. He was the guy that I spent a lot of time with, talked to, loved on, answered questions, led him to the Lord, <clears throat> and then we were going to baptize him. And so we got in the tank together, and so I baptized Mike. It wasn't too long after that that Mike turned. He turned, and I never saw him again until at a courthouse. I was there to see something else, meet somebody else, and there's Mike sitting there. I said, Mike, man, it's been years. So how's your life been? Yeah, I've been in and out of jail a few times. Mike a Christian and Mike not a Christian? Probably not. Probably not. Because if he was, was, he would have continued. You're saying, wait a minute, I trip and fall sometimes. What happens to me? Yeah, true Christians trip and fall. It's not the perfection of your life. It's the direction of your life. Mike's direction was completely an opposite direction for over a decade. And so I just tried to encourage him. I said, Mike, you know, I went back to Jesus, went back to, but this is in ministry all the time. We, we have these situations. So Jesus is facing this, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for pastors. It's heartbreaking for you who know people who have turned and left, right? Verse 67, you'll get it. There's a, another question. Jesus asked this of Peter. Do you want to also go away? Peter is a representation of a true disciple. Did Peter ever reject the Lord? Did he ever deny him? Yes, no? <clears throat> yes, he did. But Peter was a true Christian. True Christians can battle and they can struggle and it's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that, that turn away. They don't receive the hard sayings of the Lord. They reject it. They push back on it. Judas is mentioned here in the text. I don't think they knew who it was. I don't think the revelation came to them. I think it's written years later back looking on to the situation. I don't think they had any idea because you don't see them really understanding that Judas was the betrayer until later. Peter is the one that stays. Here's letter A underneath number two. Letter A, staying with Christ is the only true test of saving faith. Staying with Christ. <laughs> Real believing results in constant receiving, producing permanent staying. And Peter receiving what Jesus had said about the blood and about his body, he was getting it. He was getting it by the Spirit of the Lord. He was receiving Jesus as the bread of life while so many others were not receiving the hard sayings Peter did. The reason why Peter could receive it and the others couldn't is because Peter was alive spiritually. He was not dead. Dead people don't receive much. Have you ever found that to be true? And so if you, somebody that you might know, maybe a coworker, <laughs> anybody that you've ever been to a funeral, try bringing your Chick-fil-A. Go to the Chick-fil-A, get yourself a nice chicken sandwich, some waffle fries, go to the funeral, and then place that on top of their body as you're looking at them and say, okay, here's something I brought for you. I want you to have it. Feed on this, right? What's he or she going to do? Nothing. They're not going to eat those waffle fries. They can't eat those waffle fries. They're dead. It's the same thing spiritually. And so you can give out the truth. If the Spirit isn't moving on the truth to save somebody or to sanctify them, 
then that dead person's not going to receive that. We're spiritually dead. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. We are dead spiritually. And these people are dead. The majority of John 6 are dead. Now watch this. Because those who are going halfway and they stop, they never go any further or they turn back, are dead. They're not alive. They're not real. They haven't been redeemed. They haven't been converted. They don't have the Spirit of God inside of them. This is where this is going. This is, this is massive. This is a hard saying. If you don't take Christ in and say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and I will follow him till the day I die, and I will live for his glory. And I want everything that he has for me. If you haven't said that and you reject that, you will die in your sins. You will die hopeless. If you've made a decision when you were six years old, because mom and dad knelt at your bed, and they prayed with you, but since that time, there's no sanctification, no desire, no church, no Bible, no anything, no worship, you're living like this over here instead of godly, you're dead. You were never converted. And you need to be. This is a hard saying. Can't begin to tell you how many people I talked to through the 30 years of pastoral ministry that said, well, they prayed a prayer. They prayed a prayer. They, you see over here, they prayed a prayer. Yeah, so what? That doesn't mean anything. What it means is, have you been redeemed and regenerated? Do you have the mind of Christ? Do you think about Jesus? Do you want to live for him? Do you want to be humble before him? Do you want to be holy as much as you can? But I prayed a prayer, and this is what moms say to me. They prayed, they prayed a prayer over here, but look at their life now. And to tell the mother that it looks like they might not have been really converted is so much for them. They, they don't receive that, but they need to look at that. Because maybe your sons and your daughters who have turned away, and they haven't been around spiritually, maybe they need the gospel. Maybe they need to go to them and say, listen, do you really know Jesus? Let me close with an illustration. I'm going to set this up. When I was a kid, uh, one of my heroes was Evil Knievel. Again, I'm dating myself, right? Evil Knievel. Anybody remember that guy? Okay. And so when I was a kid, I, I loved, he was a, let me just explain. Evil Knievel sounds kind of demonic, right? It doesn't mean that. <clears throat> and so Evil Knievel was a, a daredevil. He was a stuntman. And so what Evil Knievel would do is he would, he would take his motorcycle and jump over almost anything. He would jump over cars and buses and, and all of that. And so I started to do that kind of thing. So I got on my bike, and back in those days, the bike was like the banana seat with the handlebars, you know. And I was like, man, I am evil Knievel. You know, and I would start at the very top of our hill. I'd come down the sidewalk. I set up these ramps, and I would put garbage cans one after another. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps even talking about it because it was awesome. And so I would come down there, and I would jump over these garbage cans, get real in the air, come down on the other side. I even made an outfit that looked like Evil Knievel's. Come on, let me just enjoy this for a second, huh? I'm having flashbacks. These are good flashbacks. And so, I mean, I looked just like him. I had a suit just like him. I had a helmet just like him. I wanted to be Evil Knievel. I remember asking my friends, can, can you get down here on the ground? And I'm going to jump over you. Some of them did. They lined up one after another. I must have been so good that they were like, I trust him. All right, so they lined up, and I remember going down this hill. I'm moving quick. I'm nervous. I didn't want to kill them. And so I go over that ramp. I land on the other side, 
and my handlebars twist, and one of them goes like right into my solar plexus. And I got up and I was like, this is the way I'm going to die. <laughs> 11 years old, this is it. I couldn't breathe. I was like, yeah. Evil Knievel. I'm going to show you a clip. This is one of the most devastating crashes he ever had. It was at Caesar's Palace. And he never attempted to jump again. And there's some spiritual meaning. I'm coming around to it. So watch this. I'm going to tie it together as we conclude. Can we roll that clip? The undisputed king of motorcycle daredevils is Evil Knievel. For three decades, the entire world was a witness of his success or failure. His most memorable stunt gone bad was in 1967. Caesar's Palace, Las Vegas, Nevada. Caesar's Palace are shocking. Evil Knievel breaks over 40 bones and is in a coma for 30 days. He never attempted to jump again, but the legend of Caesar's was born. That's his most dramatic of falls. Many bones broken. Never got back on the bike to go over that particular jump ever again. What's cool about Evil Knievel, if you know his story, is he eventually accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. So you can watch his funeral. You can watch the people who spoke about his life. You can hear him. He's with Robert Schuller at one particular point before he went to heaven. He's a frail old man, but he talks about his life during this season of his life and how much he, he just lived for himself. He lived for the world. And as you're watching the clip, you get goosebumps because you see genuine conversion has happened to evil Knievel. He's going over the ramps there. He comes down the other side. It's really hard to watch. It's hard with that particular version because it's such an old clip. Uh, I think it was 1969 he did that jump. So it's hard to really get the full weight of that. You might want to watch it on YouTube, and you'll see that his life uh, uh, was really in, in jeopardy at that particular point. I want to tie two thoughts. Number one is the halfway, and we're going to close with this. The halfway, you're like evil Knievel. And so if you go halfway and you stop, it's like you going over that jump. You're coming over the other side of that, and you're, you're breaking all kinds of bones, spiritual, spiritual. I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritual. You're going to go halfway, and if you don't go any further, you're like coming over that ramp through the fountain. You land on the other side, and you're going to be breaking things the rest of your life. Your only hope is to do what evil Knievel did. It's, it's to give your life to Christ to receive. Now, he pushed back. You'll hear him in his testimony. He says, I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. I didn't want him. I was mad. I was this. I was that. And then this preacher came to him and a friend of his and trying to give him Jesus. And he was like, no, he wouldn't. But eventually he received the hard sayings where Jesus said, evil, I want all of your heart. All of your heart. I want you. It's brilliant. It's, it's fantastic, the conversion story of him. Now he's in heaven. Some of you are trying to jump over ramps. You're trying to go halfway as a Christian, and you're going to crash, and you're crashing. And your crash is going to be devastating. It's not just going to be devastating for you. It's going to be devastating for everybody that you know, your children, everybody else. You've got to go beyond halfway. You've got to. And as evil accepted everything about Jesus Christ, I mean, there's no doubt that this man knew Jesus, the way that God had transformed him and how he speaks out of his mouth. And he speaks of the love he has now for Christ and, and, and who he was, what he was like as he turned back on the Lord. Now what he's like since his conversion. And now he's in heaven. Can we pray together?
This is decision time. This is number four, week four in our series, halfway. Are you halfway? You're saying, I don't want to be. I, don't want, I want to go further with God than I've ever gone before. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with no one looking around? Is today a decision day for you? You're like, yes, the Spirit of God is telling me I've been at halfway for too long. And I want to go further. I don't want to end up breaking all kinds of things in my life anymore, spiritually, people I know. Anybody, raise your hand. You need prayer on that. You want some prayer? Lift it up nice and high. Yes, yes. Yes, thank you, Lord. God, we pray that you would help us. Help us to hear what this series was all about. It's going further with you than we've ever gone before. Hard sayings, Lord. And and people will empty out of churches. Because your word will come to them and they'll say, no, I just can't do that. And what are they saying about themselves? Are they saying, Lord, that they don't know you? Is there a confirmation going on here that they've never been truly converted to begin with? Father, we pray that you would move Holy Spirit in a very powerful and profound way as we make decisions, even now. And during this next song that we're going to sing. Let's all stand in Jesus' mighty name.